This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is 321. The Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. We've got Matt Zeller with us now. He is my friend. He is a co-founder and CEO of No One Left Behind. He's a Truman National Security Fellow and an adjunct fellow at the American Security Project. He's an Afghan war vet and the author of Watches Without Time. I could spend the whole segment on his phenomenal background, but we want to actually hear him talk. Mr. Zeller, great to have you, sir. Buck, my friend, how are you? I'm all right, man. You know, I'm just you know trying to trying to keep my head down and uh, stay stay out of the snow in New York City. Although, as I was saying before, I, I like the snow because it silences the streets when there's this much of it. It's nice. I uh, I wish we had snow down here in D.C. Uh, we were told we'd get at least a dusting, and it woke up to 50 degree weather with sun. So there you go. Ah, fair enough. So, Matt, I wanted you to tell because you know about this this very well, and and you you work to get. Afghan translators, those who have uh, who've helped the United States military out of that country. Uh, and clearly with the executive order, there's been a big dust up over this. I, I, my understanding is that one of the first issues they fixed, because they realized you, you, you can't you can't ban translators from Iraq. Afghanistan wasn't a list, but you can't ban Iraqi translators from coming to the country. That's a that's a betrayal of those who uh, who have literally risked their necks, their lives for us. But what is the process like? I mean, I think people want to know that. I mean, right right now, irrespective of of the executive order, I mean, before that, uh, what happens when when we have somebody who served with the U.S. military or who helped with the U.S. military as a translator who's an Afghan national? What, what what what? How do you get them out of the country? How long does it take? And how does all that work? That's a great question, Buck. Uh, so let's start off with uh, with the actual application entails. I would argue that if you're an Iraqi or an Afghan and you're pursuing one of these visas, they're called a special immigration visa, and there's certain things that they actually have to do to even earn the privilege to apply for this, that the moment you decide to attempt to work with U.S. forces is actually the day that you are, we begin vetting you for one of these visas. Uh, you know, it wasn't like if people walked up to our bases in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and yelled at the wall, hey, I speak English. And someone was like, yeah, here's a weapon. Go on patrol. Good luck. They were polygraphed as a condition of their employment. You, know, you and I have both been polygraphed, so we understand what that entails. It's, it's not an enjoyable process. And, you know, it's something that they actually had to undergo every six months as a, as a means of keeping that job. They had to basically be willing to undergo a polygraph at least every six months, but at any given moment. Uh, their phone calls were listened to. Their emails were monitored. And in many cases, we trusted these people so implicitly that, in fact, we did arm them 
and asked to go on patrol with Americans. Now, just to be able to submit the paperwork for an application, they have to get nominated for one of these visas by either a U.S. military veteran or a U.S. government civilian government, you know, official. Uh, that formal nomination has to list out in detail uh, a period of service no less than one year, but often over two years. Uh, they have to basically be deemed by someone like you or I, a veteran of these wars, as, a, as someone who has provided honorable and valuable service. And then they, the applicant themselves actually has to prove to the government that they're in duress for the service they provided. Now, that's just to get the State Department to even consider the application. If they're able to sort of check those two blocks, get the nomination from someone like you and I, and then prove they're in duress, the State Department does their best ability to actually look in the application and do an investigation around it to make sure that everything that the applicant is claiming is true and that through as many independent sources as they can bring to bear, they've been able to verify that what the applicant is saying on the paperwork is, in fact, the truth. And if they come to the determination that, yeah, it looks good, it looks like the person actually met the service criteria, and as a result of that, they're actually being hunted, and that's not be hyperbolic about this they're being hunted by the very people we asked them to help us fight at that point the state department says as far as as we can tell this person is worthy of a visa but it's not up to the state department to determine whether or not they pose a threat to the homeland so at that point the application is forwarded to every single three-letter agency that you would assume would be involved in this process so the you know, the CIA has to do their own investigation on every single person on the application. The FBI has to do an investigation. The NSA, the Department of Homeland Security, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, even the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, has to do an investigation. The decision to let them have a visa and come to the United States must be unanimous, meaning FBI, CIA, NSA, they all have to independently approve for that person to come here. If even one agency says no, like let's say hypothetically FBI, CIA, NSA all say yes, but DEA for some reason says no, not only is that person who has applied for this visa barred from entering the United States forever, they're put on the no-fly list for the rest of their life. Simply put, If I'm al-Qaeda or I'm the Taliban or ISIS and I'm trying to send in operatives to America to attack us here, this isn't the visa program I'm taking advantage of. This is when they when the government talks about extreme vetting. This is it. This is what we can do. It's the best that we can do. We can't get any better than this type of vetting. And the proof is in the numbers. You know, since 2006, we've we've welcomed over 43,000 of these Iraqi and Afghan wartime allies to our country. And they've come here and they've been nothing but productive, tax-paying citizens who, to a person, don't want to take advantage of government benefits and programs because to them it's an embarrassment. They want to come here and be productive members of our society and not feel like they need to receive a a handout to make it. Uh, I would argue they're the ideal immigrant. And we ought to be, you know, doing everything in our power to, to keep and honor that promise that we made to them. Again, they were told if they gave us a certain, you know, level of service at a certain quality, 
we would do what was necessary to protect them if they suddenly find themselves in danger for that service. And I think, you know, as Americans, we're obligated to keep that that promise. I mean, we're the good guys. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing is keeping our word? Well, I, I did think it was uh, it was encouraging that the administration, as as soon as it became clear that Iraqi tra- and how they couldn't have thought of this in the first place, I, I don't have an answer for that. But as soon as it became clear that Iraqi translators were covered under this uh, this temporary ban, uh, they reversed that, um, just as they also reversed the green card holders uh, being covered under the under the ban. Um, but I wanted to ask you, given that now people are, you know, there there was a, a moment in time where. I think a lot of it was driven by members of the press who just were looking for a way to to show how poorly planned this was by the Trump administration. They were all highly I'm sure you saw some stories, Matt. They were highlighting in the Post mm-hmm. and the Times and other places. Uh, you know, well, this guy fought with us or this guy w- was was at our, our troop side and now he's banned from the country. So to turn that into a positive now, uh, there has been this attention given to translators. And I know this is what your organization does. Are where where are we in this process now, and where where is the Trump administration on this? Is the Pentagon going to be streamlining this? Is there a, a willingness to to bring more over? Um, what's the what's sort of the, the state of play for what your organization deals with, which is n- not leaving any of these guys behind? It's still radio silence, which is what completely surprised us. Like you'd think, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, Seventy two hours after they issued the ban. And quite frankly, after a lot of your your listeners probably know this, but we had 60 clients that were impacted by that. And people are probably thinking, okay, who cares? It's just 60 people. But think about that for a second. I mean, imagine if I told you, Buck, you've got to move to Cambodia forever. You're, it's just not safe enough for you in America anymore. I mean, what would you do? You'd quit your job. You'd sell your house. You'd sell your things. If you had children, you'd pull them out of school and you'd say your goodbyes. All of these people did those things. They didn't commit a crime. You know, they, we they asked we asked them to participate in a legal immigration process. They, they they did that. They met every condition and every hurdle we threw at them. They didn't, you know, fly to Mexico and try to walk across the border like others, you know, we fear do. They didn't come here on a student visa and overstay their welcome or on a tourist visa and just not go home. They they did everything we asked them to do. And then our response was to, I mean, I'm not making this up, pull a family off of a plane in Turkey and handcuff their nine-year-old kid and their seven-year-old son and send them back to Iraq like criminals because their only crime is they're trying to flee the people that are killing them for standing next to us. So I think, like, you know, I would hope that the administration has learned going forward that they need to have probably discussion about the immediate impact of executive orders and sort of think up a way to mitigate, you know, people who are already in transit that will be impacted by these things. And again, it was encouraging to see, you know, within 72 hours, uh, and quite frankly, I think with, you know, Secretaries Kelly and Mattis, you know, finally getting a little bit more insight into what the executive order set out to do, they were able to clarify that, you're right, Iraqis who have these visas should, in fact, be exempted. They've, They've undergone you know, the level of vetting. And I think that sort of proves my point. I mean, they wouldn't have extended this exemption if they didn't feel the SIVs already undergo extreme vetting to begin with. Um, What I would hope is that we now have an opportune moment where the country is paying attention. It seems, you know, that this has been reflective of what I've been saying for years. This is a bipartisan issue. You know, anytime this comes up for a vote in Congress, it passes unanimously in both chambers. 
I, I have yet to meet the American who says, nah, keep those people out. You know, this seems to be something everybody supports. So my hope would be that the, the administration would recognize this as an opportunity to, quite frankly, fix a bunch of problems that have existed going all the way back to the very beginning of the Obama administration. And that is there's currently a 10,000 applicant backlog just for Afghans. The majority of those people have had their applications pending since 2011. That's six years. Um, you know, we owe these people at some point a decision. And if that decision is no, that's, you know, I, I would I would I would be a little upset if it was no for everybody, because I think most of these people have earned their visas and should qualify. But if it's still a no, they ought to be at least be told that no, because then they can try to make other arrangements. And look, that's a pretty callous thing for me to say, because really the only other arrangement they have is either they can stay in their country where they are right now and get killed or they can attempt to walk to somewhere else where they might have a better chance of living. And if you're an Afghan, your options for walking are you can go north into Russia, in which case they pick you up and throw you into prison camps and you're never seen again. You can go to Pakistan and get killed by the Taliban trying to cross the border, or you can attempt to go through Iran. And the Iranian Revolutionary Guard have a policy of hanging Afghan translators within sight of Afghanistan. They did it to the former British prime minister, uh, David Cameron's personal translator. The Brits wouldn't give him a visa, so he attempted to walk from Afghanistan to the UK. He got as far as the border crossing with Iran. They hung him from a crane. Uh, I mean, like, you know, these people don't have a lot of options other than us keeping our word. So we're actually hopeful, if anyone's from the administration is listening, I mean, we'd love to work you with on this. We're, we're told that the Congress is currently working on a something called the No One Left Behind Act. And while we're very honored that they would, you know, you know, you, you take uh, inspiration from our organization's name and sort of our guiding ethos. What we're hoping is that ACT actually accomplishes a couple of demonstrable, tangible policy objectives. And they would be, you know, from my opinion, we need to basically make sure that every applicant in the backlog has a fair shot at a visa, meaning we, we should render a decision on these people at some point. Uh, we need to make sure that we have the requisite number of visas allocated it turns out that even if all 10,000 of those people got approved for a visa, we only currently have enough visas authorized by Congress to issue 1,500 of them, which means 8,500 applicants. And by the way, it's one applicant per family. So that's not 10,000 people we're talking about. That's actually around 30,000 people because it's 10,000 individual applications, meaning 10,000 families, with the average family size being three people. So, you know, I don't think it would be – I don't think it would sit comfortably realizing that we're not only making these people run through a pretty sizable immigration gamut to get here, but we're then also requiring them to win a visa lottery. I, I, that's just – that wasn't the conditions and the terms of agreement we came to when we asked them to serve with us. We didn't say, listen, in addition to serving with us and having to prove that that service was honorable, you're also going to have to win a visa lottery. No, it, what we told them was, if you serve with us and you meet certain service criteria and you can pass extreme vetting, there will be a visa for you, not you'll be entered into a lottery and we hope you win. And so, Buck, the sort of whole, you know, what's the so what of all of this? Why should your listeners and the administration and others care? It's real simple. It comes down to two things. One, if we, God forbid, find ourselves in a future conflict and Let's be realistic. The chances are we'll probably fight another war at some point in our country's future. Don't we want to have 
as many possible best chances to win that conflict as we can muster. Well, look, the only reason I'm alive today is because the Afghan Muslim guy who is my translator shot and killed two Taliban fighters in a firefight nine years ago who were about to kill me. Now, when he was recruited, he believed the American people, and by extension its military and its government, kept, it, kept their word. And I've asked him, I said, Janice, what if you didn't think that the Americans were honorable? Matt, we've only got about 60 seconds before they're going to cut us off here, so I just want to bring you to a close. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, sure. Janice basically said to me, he said, look, man, if I thought that you guys didn't keep your word, I wouldn't have fought with you. Well, what happens to our future soldiers that we send, God forbid, to Syria or to Yemen or to Libya or back into Iraq and Afghanistan? If they encounter a population that says, look, we don't trust you, how many more Americans are going to needlessly die because they didn't have at their critical moment of their life a local ally willing to defend and take care of them? And that's the whole point. We're trying to Matt, I want I want to get you in touch with some. Uh, there's some. We should we should talk offline. There's some Trump administration people I want to put you in touch with because I think this We'd is the time to, to move to on this. This is an easy solution. Yeah. It's an easy solution. Absolutely. You know, and it sells itself, and it's good for the country, and it'd be a good win for them. It allow them to. I agree. I agree, brother. I could talk to you about this all day, but literally the, the the machine is going to cut me off here. We're running into a hard break. No one left behind is your organization. Matt Zeller is the co-founder and CEO. Buddy, I'll call you off air. We'll talk about this, and team, we'll be right back. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Oh boy, uh, this is and, and that's funny. I wanted. I was thinking today that we're going to see a return to discussion of policy with the the Trump team. You know, we're going to see a a return to discussions of issues that really matter to the American people. But nope. I mean, that might happen a little bit, and I'll try to get into some of this tonight, and we'll look at uh, tax cuts and all of the things that the the Trump administration can do. That Look, I mean, tax cuts, it's funny. It's not a sexy topic, except it is in the, in the sense that it affects all of us. Um, it would be really nice to not have to pay so much in taxes. Uh, to be re- I'm one of those people, because a fair amount of media work you get paid without being an employee, so you just get a check for you know, whatever it is that you're doing. You're paid as a contractor. And so I have to write a check to the government uh, on tax day or you know, in, in time for tax day. And that changes your whole perspective on things. It really does. Having gone from being a federal government employee where you just had withholding and it was, you know, I'd get a check back from the government. Oh, this tax thing isn't so bad. It's, it's, it's a surprise savings that you have, right? I mean, you don't think of it as the government just just bleeding you dry through the course of the year and then giving you a little shot of your own blood back at the end as a, you know, thanks a lot, buddy. Uh, but that's really what's happening. And when you have to write that check uh, for your for your time as a contractor, it really changes it really changes your perspective on all this. 
Uh, so it, it matters. So much of what we talk about in politics doesn't really matter. I mean, the the effect of of prison of the Bureau of Prison Management's transgender policy for inmates doesn't. I mean, at least hopefully not anytime soon. Uh, doesn't have any effect on on my life really, but it's still an interesting thing maybe to talk about, although maybe not. Uh, but taxes affects all of us. It affects our businesses. It affects our bottom line. It affects our ability to provide for our families and our children. And uh, you know, assuming I had those things, which I don't. But I digress. Um, I have family, just not my own family. And uh, yeah, so taxes. We we could talk about that, or we could talk about how Ivanka Trump's clothing brand got a shout out from Kellyanne Conway. Standing in front of the White House, on the White House lawn, during a news interview about news, and now watchdog groups are saying it's an ethics violation. And i got to tell you, this might be. The Buck Sexton Show, on the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. Today we're joined now by our friend Adam Crato. He's a senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon. Going to bring us up to speed on all things in the world of national security. What's up, Mr. Crato? How are you, sir? It's a pleasure to be with you. Great to be with you. Let's talk. Trump administration eyes opportunity to squash Iran, China, North Korea missile threats. What is going on here on FreeBeacon.com? Yeah, I find this to be an interesting one. Look, for too long, we've had missile defense systems based in the U.S. that um, are aging, that have been beset by problems. And I think the time is now in Congress to ask for funding to really boost this type of defense. Look, the Iranians we know every day are testing ballistic missiles, are um, trying to advance their reach across the globe. The North Koreans have been doing it for some time, and other rogue actors such as China and other countries already have the capability, even in Russia. So how do we do this defensively? I think the eye in Congress is to finally build some sites on the East Coast that could provide missile defense and rework what we already have by providing full funding. And from what I can tell with the Trump administration and the national security members that I spoke to, they fully support this type of effort. Nice. So what will it take to get this thing going? Money. I mean, honestly, money. Um, It's really about funding. So when the president puts out his budget, uh, where the Obama administration did not fund certain programs, like I mentioned, the East Coast Missile Defense Site, things of this nature, they're hoping that the Trump administration does. So, look, this is not just an Iranian threat or a North Korean threat. There's a much larger gap. Um, essentially, from what I can tell in this letter, the lawmakers are saying to Trump, we started doing a lot of things in the 80s under Reagan. I mean, we all remember the top line of Star Wars and this type of thing. But look, technology has advanced uh, wholesale, and we're now in a position, especially with the technology that the Israelis have built, to put in missile defense that works. Um, I read just earlier today that Israel's missile defense system intercepted rockets from Egypt and Gaza and areas in the Sinai. So look, this stuff works. Why not put it in America? Let's talk about CNN comparing lightning strikes to uh, 
breaking terror attacks. What's this? Um, I can. I, I, I this doesn't surprise me. As somebody who worked over at CNN, uh, after every terrorist attack, the, the the games that were played over there were always we can't tell what the motive was. But he said on video why he did it. We can't tell what the motive was. Let's not jump to conclusions. Islamophobia is the real enemy, and maybe we should ban yeah. guns. But he used a truck. We should still ban guns. That's the way it went over there all the time. Well, look, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I, I do find it frightening. I, I don't think we should ever make light of terror attacks, but there is something wildly silly and bizarre about a CNN anchor, the person who's uh, supposed to present a realistic vision of the world to you, uh, for this person to get on television and say, well, look, lightning strikes kill the same amount of people as terrorism in the United States, I think um, does a disservice to the viewer. Um, maybe that's true statistically, but I think we know statistics never give you the full picture. Terrorism is something that is willed. Terrorism is something that is ideology and based in reality. Lightning strikes happen to be random. And like Congressman Sean Duffy said, who happened to be interviewed at the time on CNN, he said, look, if the government could legislate against lightning strikes to save lives, we probably would, but we can't. Terrorism is something we can actually address. Now, the kicker on this, um, and I'm sure you'll appreciate this, the kicker on this, right after this interview where they made the lightning strike comparison, they cut to a breaking terror attack. 20 people murdered in Kabul as a result of a terror attack. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that, that on the one hand, they'll tell us that terrorism is not that big a deal and we're we're over uh, we're we're overemphasizing it in this country and and yeah. you know whenever we talk about taking action to defend the homeland that's the tack that the left will take that's the tack that they'll take and then they'll also tell us well we don't spend, you know what about terror attacks overseas there's so many of them and they're ignored well well which is it is terrorism a, a smaller problem or a bigger problem than we're led to believe it seems like they they change with any given day they do, and I can actually tell you the reason that I think this is the case. I think um, very much the left wants to make terrorism a public relations battle, whereas terrorism does not operate that way. It is indiscriminate, and it kills people across the globe on a constant basis. So to create the perception that terrorism is either random or maybe it's because it's a reaction to the U.S. or other Western countries, I think, does a real disservice to Americans. Uh, look, we, we never want to create the perception that we're living in an emergency state, right? But safety, I think the idea of safety has become a very important concept, not just here in America, but also in Germany and other places where in Germany we see gun sales skyrocketing like they never have before. That's because people feel unsafe. And the reason for that happens to be terrorism. So why not address it? on a policy level where we can actually prevent this rather than creating a narrative that really doesn't comport to the reality on the ground. What do you think of the uh, report yesterday that Iran uh, fired off another missile? Look, I, it, it doesn't surprise me. I know it's big news um, here in America and that people pay a lot of attention to this, but honestly, it does not surprise me. Um, under the Obama administration and even before, the Iranians were test firing, testing technology, things of this nature, all as part of their ballistic missile program. So this is going over there um, on a daily basis. They are doing this. Um, so I, on one hand, I find it surprising when the media wants to 
finally pay attention to the Iranians doing things like trying to launch a missile towards Tel Aviv or potentially launch a missile towards the United States. Um, I find it surprising when people uh, find this to be breaking news because, honestly, it's happening every day. The only difference is that the Obama administration never enforced the sanctions already in place on this behavior. And the Iran deal going forward with the Trump team now in charge, what do you think happens there? What do you, what are your expectations for how they're going to handle the framework that has been passed on to them by uh, the Obama squad before them? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a, it's, it's a conversation I have on a daily basis, honestly, with the White House and other sources that I kind of communicate to about the issue. Um, as far as I can see, I don't think the Trump administration has an appetite for wholesale dismantling the deal. And I actually happen to agree with that. I think that's a bad idea. We already have an architecture in place that the Iranians are um, at least somewhat beholden to. I think we build upon this and we do this with sanctions and we do this in other ways. The Iranians will uh, routinely whine and cry that sanctions are illegal under the nuclear deal. In fact, they are not. The Iranians, um, if you can believe it, are lying about that. The Iranians will say ballistic missile testing does not violate the nuclear accord. In fact, it does. Under the United Nations Resolution 2231 that codified the nuclear agreement and set the parameters uh, legally for it, ballistic missile tests violate the deal. So we need to have a stomach for telling the Iranians they are wrong and they are lying. The Obama administration did not do this. I am hopeful that the Trump administration will, and I think we've seen this from Michael Flynn and others I've spoken to, that in some sense, the gloves are off. Also on freebegin.com, Congress moves to cut immigration to the U.S. by half. I, I, I read about this a couple of days ago. Uh, is this yeah. What are you hearing from your White House sources on this and, and from Congress? Is this really going to go forward? Well, look, I think that it comports, one, with the Trump administration's own uh, vision of immigration, right? We saw the executive order halting immigration from these countries that are really hotspots for terrorism or have a majority where terrorists exist. I think that this immigration bill has a lot of top-line items that are not particularly controversial. I think that it's easy to get lost in the statistics that halting immigration by 50 percent and halting the entrance of refugees by 50 percent sounds like a lot. But in fact, if we look at the numbers historically, this brings us down to probably where we were in the mid 2000s. Uh, we've had an explosion of immigration over the past couple of years. And really, I think what Cotton and David Perdue and the Senate are seeking to do is just bring this down to where we have been um, historically and also give our security apparatus a chance to rebalance, a chance to figure out how to properly screen people, which we were not doing under the Obama administration. So uh, I see this easily winning support, honestly, even among Democrats. Adam Credo is a senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon. He is at K-R-E-D-O-0 on Twitter. Zero. Mr. Credo, great to have you, sir. Thank you for joining us. It is always my pleasure, sir. All right. you got to come hang out on the night show, too. Get ready for that. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. Talk to you soon, buddy. Uh, phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. We'll be back right after the break. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. 
The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh boy, this is now going to be a thing. Um, there's no way around it. So Kellyanne Conway, senior advisor or counselor or whatever her title is to the president, uh, she was on Fox and Friends, and she was uh, talking about the dropping of Ivanka, the first daughter's clothing line, and <sighs> this is this is what Kellyanne Conway said. Play it. I do find it ironic that you've got some executives all over the internet bragging about what they've done to her and her line, and yet, yet they're using the most prominent woman in uh, in Donald Trump's, uh, you know, most prominent right. daughter, and and they're using her, who's been a champion for women empowerment, sure. women in the workplace, uh, to get to him. Just, so I uh, think people can see through that. Go seconds. buy Ivanka's stuff, is what I would tell. I'm going to I'm going well, to go shopping. I'm going to go get some on myself today. Uh, I own some of it. I fully, I'm just, she went on to say later, by the way, I just played that one sound for you. She wanted to say, this is, it's a wonderful line. I own some of it. I fully, I'm just going to, going to give a free commercial here. Go buy it today, everybody. You can find it online. Okay. Again, I don't care, but now we're all going to be made to care. Um, and if somebody was, you know, running. You know, if if President Obama had been out there saying, uh, "Go buy Michelle Obama's clothing line," let's just say if she had one, which she didn't, I'm just making up a theoretical here. Uh, we would have been upset about that, right? I mean, let's let's not all pretend like we wouldn't have said that that was weird. And and now, of course, that's President Obama. Kelly and Conway's not the president. I get that. Here's the the Federal Register rule, the ethics rule, um, use of public office for private gain. An employee shall not use his public office for his own private gain, for the endorsement of any product, service, or enterprise, or for the private gain of friends, relatives, of or persons with whom the employee is affiliated in a non-governmental capacity, including non-government organizations. <sighs> yeah, I mean... I, don't know. I mean, now we're going to get into a, did she endorse Ivanka's product line? I mean, God, the answer is yes. The answer is yes, she did. So what, is she going to have to apologize now? But this just gives, this is going to give the left a thing. This is going to give them a bone to chew on for, for the next 48 hours. And again, the Trump team is... I don't know. Maybe they, when they're playing defense, they're really on offense. Maybe that's how they view it. You know, this is like the 4D chess thing people say about Trump. But they're going to spend the next day or two now dealing with this. And this is where people like me have a problem sometimes. I'm not going to get up there and say, I'm not going to go on radio and whoever's listening to me across the country tonight and, and tomorrow and here. Uh, I'm not going to say that what Kellyanne Conway said doesn't seem on its face to be a clear violation of government ethics rules because... Well, everybody, it clearly seems like a violation of government ethics rules. I mean, if you change the if you change the actors here, if you change the people involved, I think that we would all understand that this would be something that Republicans, conservatives, uh, people across the board would be uneasy with. Now, look, is this uh, is this the end of the world? Is this some huge uh, huge scandal? I mean, should people be frog marched in handcuffs? Of course not, right? This that's. And now you get into the, the the problem of 
defending something that you're really just defending the exaggeration of it or the overreach around it. And in, instead of being able to just focus on policy issues that matter. But so that, that's where we are with this. I mean, this is now going to be a thing. And you're going to have some of the Trump team saying that nothing that Kellyanne Conway, because they remember, they never apologize. They never back down. That's their way. And I know that some Trump supporters are OK with that, even though they know that it's intellectually not really always defensible. Um, it's a means to an end situation. But you're going to have some of the Trump team that say that nothing that Kellyanne Conway did here is strange or is a problem. And, you know, that's a problem for the rest of us who want to be honest about all this stuff and will be honest about it. are going to sound like we're you know, buying into the Democrat line here. But it's just, it's just what, what an unnecessary – it's so frustrating. They have so much – I mean, I know it's only three weeks in. They have so much power and authority, and they could do such good for this country. And I think they want to. That's why – it's not like I'm sitting here like, oh, Trump, he doesn't – I think he wants to do really good things for the country. I do. And I think he still can, and I think he will. But these sorts of – this this is just – this is unnecessary. It's a, it's a distraction, and it's an own goal, and they got to tighten up the ship a little bit. I mean, this, this is not good stuff at all. All right, team, 6 Eastern tonight, 6 to 9 on American Now Radio, AmericanOutRadio.com. To listen, Shields High. Till then. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.